We are in uh, Revelation chapter 10. And I'm going to ask you if you'll stand uh, in our God's honor. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me a little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word, as we consider your truth, Speak to our hearts, God. Help us to see how critical it is, Lord, to listen to you. There are a lot of voices out there. and We miss you. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Not from me, but from you. And I pray that you minister. In Christ's name, amen. I want to just say a quick word about prayer and prayer weekend. You know, you have an opportunity to bump into people, and this week, uh, as I know a lot of you guys do too, I ask God, Lord, just help me be aware of people, as you may want to speak. And I met this lady, and I talked to her a couple minutes, and I found out that, like a couple of weeks earlier, her dad had died, and then a year before that, her husband had died. And she ended up, through medical bills, lost her home, living with her daughter, and, uh, you know, we just talked about how some things are just bigger than we are. And we need God. And so, not that I had any major answers to fix her ills. I said, you know, let's just take a moment and talk to God about it. We make everything so hard. Maybe there's somebody in your life God brings to you. Just stop with them and say, can we, let's talk to God about it. He loves you. Okay, looking at our text. Man, you know, as I talked about last week, when you start talking about the judgment of God, we just don't want to talk about the judgment of God anymore. We see preachers as they go on talk shows. It's not about the judgment of God. 
It's about the love of God. But the love of God is spoken in such a way that God almost seems sappy. He's sweet and kind of icky lovey-dovey. And yet the love of God is far more than just an emotional affection like petting your puppy. My puppy loves to see me. I, you know, I love that country song that talks about, you know, I wish you loved me like my dog loves me, you know, kind of. You know how they do. How they come. But when we look at the love of God in this section of Scripture, what we see is tough. We come to this final seal of the seven seals. And in this particular passage, there's a pause directly before that. And, and we want to look at that pause this morning. And, and, and notice as it opens up here, it speaks of a mighty angel. He said, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. So there is an angel who is coming. And this angel will have the job of throwing our great enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Satan himself, to be bound up for a thousand years as Christ will rule for that thousand year Rain. And so people ask, well, who is this angel? Some have said, well, it's Jesus. As, as you look in the Old Testament, there are times where an angel appears and the angel is Jesus himself as he speaks. And so they say, ah, that, that's who this is. But I don't think that in this particular case, the angel is Jesus Christ, our Lord. As a matter of fact, after the birth of Jesus in the Gospels, there is no appearances of Jesus in the form of an angel. And so, you know, that's part of the reason I think that this is not Jesus himself here. Matter of fact, the description of it sounds similar to Daniel 12. And that mighty angel that's spoken of, which is a description of Gabriel. So possibly this is an archangel that is delivering this message to mankind. And just briefly, notice his appearance in the scriptures here. It says he's robed in a cloud. Now how's that for fashion? Robed in a cloud. Secondly, it writes that above his head was a rainbow. Picture of many faceted colors. And the Greek itself speaks of that vibrant colors of a, of a peacock. That feathered tail. Of course, as we think of a rainbow, you can't help but think of God's promise to Noah with the rainbow in Genesis. That the world will never be destroyed again by flooding. Thirdly, we see the angel's face was like the sun. In Luke 24, verse 4, as it talks about the angels who are declaring the announcement, Jesus is no longer here in this grave. He is alive. He is risen. And it says that those angels, man, they were dazzling. It said that the, the glory of God shone from them. They were radiant. Then, fourthly, there's this description here in verse 1 that his legs were like... Fiery pillars, which gives a picture of God is about to express a coming judgment. You see, God is holy, and although He is loving, He says, if you don't come by my way, there's a price. And that's what is faced here. And then fifthly and importantly here, we see in verse 2, 
that he's holding a book, a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. And the picture here of, of this little book is it's a it's a holy book. And, 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 and this scripture is the basis of, you know, as we call the Bible, the Holy Bible. Um, as it talks about here and in Second Timothy 3.15, there is this mention of it being holy, being set apart for God. His, his scripture, his word. But this little book is not the whole Bible, but it is a section of God's truth to be expressed that talks about this coming judgment that will soon be revealed. And then the last description here is about his size. Notice what it says here about the size of this angel. It's like, wow. It says his he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And the picture here is he is he's enormous. He's actually beyond description. And this is a reference to how powerful he is, how 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 large, how how great that he is. And notice what happens next in verse three. It talks about a shout, a loud shout. Like the roar of a lion. The, the actual Greek word actually speaks about like a megaphone. That's how it would be described. And it says, when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And it's interesting through the scriptures when it talks about thunder. It is a reference to the judgment of God. I'll give you a couple of quick references here. Psalm 29 verse 3. It talks about the glory of God or the God of glory thundering. And then in Job 37 verse 5, it talks about God's voice thundering in marvelous ways. Now, verse 4. Notice what he says here. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. At this point, he says, keep it a secret. Don't spread it to everyone. But this particular message is to be held a secret. It reminds me of the truth of God's revelation. It's not exhaustive. In other words, we don't know every little detail about the enormous power, glory, sovereignty of our God. The revelation of God that we have, it's not exhaustive, but it's sufficient it is what God has given to us that we need in order to be obedient in following Him. Matter of fact, in John, the end of the Gospel of John, it tells us that if everything was written down, there would not be enough room to write it down. There would not be enough books to hold it. That's John 21, 25. But we all have questions, don't we? We'd like to know a little more information. God, could you answer this question? I have this nagging question. There's something that happened in my past, in my childhood, in my family. And Lord, I want to know, could you just give me a little bit more? Just reveal to me a little bit more. Because this is, God, it bothers me. It it, it keeps me up at night. And I keep asking you and, and I don't know. And you see, it's not a sign of weakness, I don't think. I think it's a sign of strength to be able to say, I don't know. But God, I can trust you through it, knowing that you do know. Now, I'm not using that as an excuse. Don't say, well, you know, 
Don't blame me. Only God knows. I don't really know. Be like the guy I heard about. He, he didn't study, and so he decided he would use an excuse when he took the test. He wrote on the top of paper, his paper, test paper, only God knows the answers to this stuff. He got his test back, and it said, you're absolutely right, young man. God gets an A, but you get an F. So we, we don't use it as an excuse. We just use it in knowing that he's bigger than we are and we need him. And we need to place our trust in him. Notice on here as we move on to verse 5. He says, the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said, there will be no more Delay. This picture here where it says he swore by him who lives forever and ever is the basis of the scripture of at an inauguration. There actually in, in one of the books that was referenced in my study, it spoke of George Washington, who was the first one at, you know, presidential inauguration where he placed his left hand on the Bible, and he raised his right hand, you know, to swear the oath that says to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But I love it in the book because it says that after he made that pledge, that oath, he grabbed his Bible, and he kissed that Bible, and spontaneously he said, so help me God. And so that became a part of it. Man, this job is just too big for any one man. God, we need you to be involved and, and to be a part of it, Lord. Let's move on in our text here. It says verse 6 is, is he talks about the fact of swearing to God and, and those who, the one who created the heavens, the sea, the, the earth, all that is in it. He is the one who created everything. And guys, if, if, if he is not the one who has created the universe, we have no hope he's going to create a new one. We have no hope that he's going to take this old body that's fallen apart and raise it from the grave to be with the one who he himself was raised from the grave. The glory and the power of the resurrection comes from the creator who is all powerful. Now, the angel's announcement. We've got to move on here. Verses, second part of verse 6 and verse 7. It says, there will be no more delay. There's not going to be any more delays, it says. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. No more mysteries. No more truth that is hidden. There will be an enlightenment. It will be made known. Interesting here is it talks about mysteries. Just a, a few scriptures I'll make note of. In Mark chapter 4, there's a mystery of the kingdom. Romans 11, the mystery of Israel's blindness. 1 Corinthians 15, the mystery of the rapture. Ephesians 5, the mystery of Christ and the church. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, the mystery of the incarnation. The mystery of God's unfolding judgment. Prophesies of the prophets of old here in Revelation 10, verse 7. And then lastly, I want to... Mention here the apostles' application. That's verses 8 through 10. 
And, you know, she didn't notice this, this apostle, John, and what's revealed to him. It says, the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll of the book. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And I was told, you must prophesy again and in people's nations, languages, and kings. Ezekiel had a similar experience where he was taken to take the law of God and to eat it. And it says in Ezekiel 3 3 that it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. In the ancient Jewish tradition, as children would learn the Hebrew language, they would make words with a a paste made out of honey and flour. And after they'd make the words, they were allowed to lick that off the board because it was like candy. After they ate it. And so it was a picture of of eating the word. And it was sweet. And so John the apostle. He eats that word. That word of God that is precious. that That is sweet. That is a delight. That is joy. But he also discovers that it's bitter. Why is it bitter? It's awesome to know that we have a God who is sovereign. Who is in complete control. A God who can hold us. A God who can keep us. A God who can deliver us. A God who can rescue us. But it's also very painful to know that for those who will not turn to God, it's not a good ending. And that's nothing to rejoice about. It makes you sick. To know that there are people who are going to say no to God. And that's not good. That is a judgment that awaits. And, and in this pause, that is about to be revealed as we have gone through these judgments. And as he closes out here, he says, Then I was told, and it's a reference back to the thundering of God, to that glory of God that is all powerful, speaking with such power and proclaiming in God's glory. Listen, it's true. Don't take me lightly. Turn to me. Don't hold this in. Share the truth. And really, that's caught all of us. Man, this society, we've, we've grown so thin-skinned. Get our feelings hurt over everything. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't try to offend people. But don't worry about every little person that seems to get twisted sideways. Just love the Lord. And love people. And if somebody gets bent out of shape, just love them too. Don't don't you get all bent out of shape. 1955 Billy Graham preaching the gospel. I mean, just laying it on the line. Hell is hot and trouble awaits for those who miss Jesus Christ, the way of salvation. (laughs) He was preaching in London, England at Wembley Field. 
in the stadium there, and he got an invitation to 10 Downing Street, which was the residence of the Prime Minister of England. It was actually the last year of that service of the particular Prime Minister in power by the name of Winston Churchill. Churchill invited him in. He looked like he was weary, but he still had that penetrating eyes that looked at Billy Graham chomping on his unlit cigar. He said, young man, I've heard a great deal about these crusades you're having up at Wembley. Now, I want to ask you a question. You know the trouble shape the world's in. Firstly, I don't think the world has much longer to go. Can you give an old man any hope? Billy Graham took a New Testament he always carried with him from his pocket and began to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that he is the one who created the world, the one who is in charge of the world, but he's the one who can give you hope personally. <laughs> who will be a, a, a savior and a hope for you. I want to go on and read uh, from the book here as I read this account. He said, it seemed to, to Billy Graham that Churchill was seeking hope not merely for a troubled world, but for an aging and troubled man. So he took out the pocket New Testament he always had with him and showed the prime minister that the Bible offers not only hope for the world and the ultimate triumph of Jesus, but hope for individual human beings and the plan of salvation. Yet, if Churchill ever made a decision, Billy Graham never learned about it. Nine years after this singular conversation, Winston Churchill passed away. My hope is there's nobody here that will miss Jesus. He loves you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. And God, so often we do talk about how gentle you are. But Lord, this passage of scripture reminds us how glorious and mighty you are, Lord. How your glory thunders. And Father, we are weak. We humble ourselves before you. And in this time of invitation, Father, bring us before you. If it's to come to this altar to pray, if it's to make a decision before you, the sovereign one, may we do that now. Father, whatever it is you want of us, Lord, may we obey. May we submit before you that you may be glorified and honored, oh God. May we listen and may we respond to you. Father, um, we ask you to move among us. In Christ's name we pray.